Good evening and welcome to Redeemer Presbyterian Church for this service of worship on Good Friday. This is a special service where we have, as you can see in the bulletin, an order from the New Testament uh, telling the story of Jesus' suffering and death for us, for the forgiveness of our sins. There will be special readers during the, or designated readers for each of these um, readers. Please come up just before your reading, and please be careful as you uh, ascend this step here. Watch your step as you come up to the mic and speak into the mic so everyone can hear. And you can follow along if you would like. You see the passages, so you can look at those passages as they are being read. We'll also sing hymns that relate to um, the words that we are reading in Scripture. And you'll notice we'll stand sometimes and we'll sit and contemplate on on other occasions. Please notice the explanation for the service. It's taken from the Belgic Confession. This is a confession, one of the earliest of the Reformation confessions um, at the end of the 16th century. It's a wonderful document that gives real clarity about what the Scripture teaches especially related to Christ. I want to emphasize at this time of the year, you'll sometimes hear people speak of Jesus' death as, as an example, um, something we could look to, someone who would die for something they believed in. That's not what his death's about. His death is to save us from our sins. And it was particular, and it was personal, and it had to happen for us to be right with God. Let's look at what it says. I'll read it as we uh, start to focus on worship. It says, We believe that God, who is perfectly merciful and just, sent his son to assume that nature in which the disobedience was committed, to make satisfaction in the same, and to bear the punishment of sin by his most bitter passion and death. God, therefore, manifested his justice against his son when he laid our iniquities upon him and poured forth his mercy and goodness on us, who were guilty and worthy of damnation. Out of mere and perfect love, giving his son unto death for us, and raising him for our justification, that through him we might obtain immortality and life eternal. Please listen to the words of the choral introit as we prepare our hearts for worship. Please stand for the responsive call to worship. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. Your soul is not 
Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. Let us adore our God together by singing hymn number 246, Man of Sorrows, What a Name. Let's pray. Gracious God, on this day we gather to remember the suffering and death of Jesus. He was despised and rejected, oppressed and afflicted, and he was willing to be wounded for our transgressions. We come overwhelmed by the depth of Jesus' love for us and his commitment to drink the cup of his Father's just wrath so that our sins could be forgiven. For it is in his willingness to make us righteous that he poured himself out to death And we give praise to Christ for this, even death on a cross. And so, in response to such love and sacrifice, we come to worship him and express our thankfulness. Please send your Holy Spirit to help us to render to you praise, praise that is suitable and worthy. Please illumine our minds to understand and appreciate your word. Please help us to sing with conviction and sincerity. Please satisfy us with your holy supper by building up our faith in you. 
Please strengthen us by your gospel, which is based on the finished work of Jesus Christ that we remember this night. Amen. Please be seated. Matthew 26, verses 20 through 29. Now evening had come. He was reclining at the table with the twelve disciples. And as they were eating, he said, Truly, truly, I say to you that one of you will betray me. And being deeply grieved, they each one began to say, Surely it's not I, Lord. And he answered and said, He who dipped his hand with me in the bowl is the one who will betray me. The Son of Man is to go, just as it is written of him. But woe to that man to whom the Son of Man will be betrayed. It would be good for him that he had never been born. And Judas, who was betraying him, answered and said, Surely not I, Rabbi. And he said to them, You have said it yourself. And while they were eating, Jesus took some bread, and after blessing, he broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. And when he had taken the cup and given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for the forgiveness of sins. But I say to you, I will not drink of this fruit of the vine from now on until the day when I drink it with you in my Father's kingdom. And after that, they sang a hymn, and they went out to the Mount of Olives. While we remain in our seats... Let's sing 261, What Wondrous Love Is This.
Mark 14, 32 to 42. Jesus prays in Gethsemane. And they went to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. And he took with him Peter and James and John and began to be greatly distressed and troubled. And he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch. And going a little farther, he fell on the ground and prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me. Yet not what I will, but what you will. And he came and found them sleeping, and he said to Peter, Simon, are you asleep? Could you not watch one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. And again he went away and prayed, saying the same words. And again he came and found them sleeping, for their eyes were very heavy, and they did not know what to answer him. And he came the third time and said to them, Are you still sleeping and taking your rest? It is enough. The hour has come. The Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. Let's stand together and sing 248. Ah, holy Jesus, how hast thou offended?
Please be seated. Matthew 26, 57 through 66. Then those who had seized Jesus led him to Caiaphas, the high priest, where the scribes and the elders had gathered. And Peter was following him at a distance, as far as the courtyard of the high priest. And going inside, he sat with the guards to see the end. Now the chief priests and the whole council were seeking false testimony against Jesus that they might put him to death, but they found none, though many false witnesses came forward. At last, two came forward and said, This man said, I am able to destroy the temple of God and to rebuild it in three days. And the high priest stood up and said, Have you no answer to make? What is it that these men testify against you? But Jesus remained silent. And the high priest said to him, I adjure you by the living God, tell us if you are the Christ, the Son of God. Jesus said to him, You have said so, but I tell you, from now on, you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming on the clouds of heaven. Then the high priest tore his robes and said, He has uttered blasphemy. What further witnesses do we need? You have now heard his blasphemy. What is your judgment? They answered, He deserves death. Let's turn to 247. We'll stay seated as we sing, O Sacred Head Now Wounded. 247.
And as soon as it was morning, the chief priests held a consultation with the elders and scribes and the whole council. And they bound Jesus and led him away and delivered him over to Pilate. And Pilate asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? And he answered him, You have said so. And the chief priests accused him of many things. And Pilate again asked him, Have you no answer to make? See how many charges they bring against you. But Jesus made no further answer, so that Pilate was amazed. Now at the feast he used to release for them one prisoner for whom they asked. And among the rebels in prison who had committed murder in the insurrection, there was a man called Barabbas. And the crowd came up and began to ask Pilate to do as he usually did for them. And he answered them, saying, Do you want me to release for you the king of the Jews? For he perceived that it was out of envy that the chief priests had delivered him up. But the chief priests stirred up the crowd to have him release for them Barabbas instead. And Pilate again said to them, Then what shall I do with the man you call king of the Jews? And they cried out again, Crucify him! And Pilate said to them, Why? What evil has he done? But they shouted all the more, Crucify him! So Pilate, wishing to satisfy the crowd, released for them Barabbas, And having scourged Jesus, he delivered him to be crucified. And the soldiers led him away inside the palace, that is, the governor's headquarters. And they called together the whole battalion, and they clothed him in a purple cloak, and twisting together a crown of thorns, they put it on him. And they began to salute him, Hail, King of the Jews! And they were striking his head with a reed, and spitting on him, and kneeling down in homage to him, And when they mocked him, they stripped him of the purple cloak and put his own clothes on him, and they led him out to crucify him. Let's stand together and we'll sing 252, When I Survey the Wondrous Cross, and we'll remain standing for the last scripture reading. We'll stand and sing 252.
Matthew chapter 27, starting in verse 33. And when they came to a place called Golgotha, which means place of a skull, they offered him wine to drink mixed with gall. But when he tasted it, he would not drink it. And when they had crucified him, they divided his garments among them by casting lots. Then they sat down and kept watch over him there. And over his head, they put the charge against him, which read, This is Jesus, the King of the Jews. Then two robbers were crucified with him, one on the right and one on the left. And those who passed by derided him, wagging their heads and saying, You who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself. If you are the Son of God, come down from the cross. So also the chief priests with the scribes and elders mocked him, saying, He saved others. He cannot save himself. He is the king of Israel. Let him come down now from the cross, and we will believe in him. He trusts in God. Let God deliver him now, if he desires him. For he said, I am the son of God. And the robbers who were crucified with him also reviled him in the same way. Now from the sixth hour... There was darkness over all the land until the ninth hour. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, saying, Eli, Eli, lemma sabachthani, that is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And some of the bystanders, hearing it, said, This man is calling Elijah. And one of them at once ran and took a sponge, filled it with sour wine, and put it on a reed, and gave it to him to drink. But the others said, Wait, let us see whether Elijah will come to save him. And Jesus cried out again with a loud voice, and yielded up his spirit. Please be seated.
If you were to turn in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 9, I just want to spend just a few moments contemplating this passage of Scripture. We've been reading through the Gospels the narratives of what happened when Jesus was turned over to the Roman authorities, crucified, killed. That's the account. That's what has happened. That's true. That's verifiable. The book of Hebrews is a commentary that helps us to understand how does this sacrifice of Jesus Christ relate to the rest of the Old Testament? How does what just happened before our eyes in the death of Jesus of Nazareth, how does it relate to everything that the nation of Israel had been doing for years and years and years? The temple, the sacrificial system, the codes of laws and regulations, how does that now relate to the sacrifice of Jesus Christ? Hebrews 9, 11 to 15. But when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come, then through the greater and more perfect tent, not made with hands, that is, not of this creation, He entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of His own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. For if the sprinkling of defiled persons with the blood of goats and bulls and with the ashes of a heifer sanctifies for the purification of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered Himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God? Therefore, He is the mediator of a new covenant so that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance, since a death has occurred that redeems them from the transgressions committed under the first covenant. You know, as we look at this passage, as we consider the sacrifice of Christ, I'm convinced that meditating on Christ's sacrifice for us will elevate our worship of God. And from time to time, our worship may grow cold, may get stale, may feel like there's nothing special going on. Uh, some, sometimes people will, will come to me and say, Nathan, what do I do when I just don't feel close to God? I don't feel like I'm really communing with God. I, I just feel like I'm maybe going through the motions. How, how, do you, how do you get that feeling back. And, and sometimes it's not just related to feeling. Sometimes it's, it's related to this, this rut that people feel like they're stuck in. And, you know, our culture and our churches have different ways of trying to address that. And some will do things just to, to kind of to pump you up, to get you excited and riled up, maybe with music or maybe with a, a, a stage show and lights and laser lights and fireworks and flames. And there's all sorts of gimmicks out there to try and make you excited about worshiping the living God. But our text here, the Scripture before us here, particularly in verse 14, tells us that contemplating, meditating, thinking on the sacrifice of Christ, the blood of Christ, which was offered for us, will purify our conscience from 
dead works to serve the living God. The first thing we're approached with or presented with in verse 11 is that when Christ appeared as a high priest. You know, we celebrate in December Advent and the first coming of Jesus Christ. And that Advent means appearing or manifestation. When Christ appeared as a baby, that's worth all sorts of celebration. Angels celebrated, shepherds celebrated, all the people celebrated at the birth of King Jesus. And here, we're called in the book of Hebrews to consider the advent of a high priest. The advent of Jesus, Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come. When He came, this is the real advent, the culmination of why Jesus did come in flesh, why God took on flesh. He came to be our sacrifice. It's the purpose behind the sacrifice. As we meditate and think upon why Jesus came, why did He appear in the first place? Why did the God-man come? He came to be our high priest. Well, the people of God have known high priests and the priesthood from the times of Moses and Aaron and Levi. They knew those, that priesthood, but it just wasn't able to do what the people needed. We're left longing. What do we need? Well, this high priest came through the greater and more perfect tent or tabernacle. And we know that the tabernacle from the Old Testament is the place where, where God and His presence came, the Shekinah, this cloud of, of by day and this pillar of fire at night, God is presence. Moses would go into the tabernacle to meet with God. And so here in Hebrews 9, Christ is appearing as the high priest, and He's going into the very presence of God, into that tent that's not made with hands. He's not going into a literal temple on earth or a tabernacle on earth. He's going to the real thing. You see, that tabernacle, that tent was just a shadow of the real holy of holies where the God of the universe dwells, where the judge of all sits enthroned. And Jesus, as our high priest, goes before him. And he goes into that place, into that greater, more perfect tent. And what did he do? Consider the once for all and the one-of-a-kind sacrifice that's described in verse 12. Jesus, when he offered himself as a sacrifice, entered once for all into the holy places. Year after year, the priesthood would come, particularly on the Day of Atonement, making sacrifices for themselves and then bringing the sacrifice to God and going in not to the holy place but into the most holy place, which was separated by a curtain. And they would go and present the offering before God of incense. But now Christ answers once for all. This is it. Never again would another sacrifice have to be made. Christ's sacrifice was going to be it once for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of bulls and goats, not by the blood of goats and calves. Jesus was not going to be only a once-for-all sacrifice. He wasn't just going to bring the best bull, the best calf. He wasn't going to make an animal sacrifice at all. And he wasn't just going to sacrifice another human being. He was going to sacrifice himself, who is the God-man. 
God-man, by His own blood, He brings that unique sacrifice, unlike any other sacrifice. And what did this accomplish for us? Thus securing an eternal redemption. I don't know about you, but I want something that's secure. You want your investments to be secure. You want your children to be safe and secure. When we can be convinced that our eternal salvation is not in doubt, it's not in question, it's not on shaky ground, it is secured by His blood, then we can have our worship elevated to the greatest heights. We can be so confident in our worship, in our coming before the holy judge of the universe, dressed in white robes, cleansed by His precious blood. We have been secured an eternal redemption. Verse 13 says it's this sprinkling of defiled persons with the blood of goats and bulls and with the ashes of a heifer sanctifies for the purification of the flesh. It's referring to all the Old Testament rituals that they had to go through again and again and again just to, in a shadow form, depict what this real sacrifice was going to be, back, what was going to be like, what it's going to truly accomplish. And it was cleansing in ritual manner for the, the flesh. When you read of all the laws, if you read of Leviticus and Numbers and you, you just see how many ways in which you can be defiled and can be unclean and, and not be allowed to come before God and not to be allowed to be with God's people and yet realize that that sacrifice once for all that one-of-a-kind sacrifice, Jesus, purifies us not just in the flesh, but it purifies us on a whole other level. Verse 14, how much more will the blood of Christ? It's an argument from the lesser to the greater. This shadow gave some level of security, some level of uh, confidence to the Israelites. But how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered Himself? without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God. Spurgeon says, no son of Aaron stands before us but the Christ, the truly anointed one, commissioned of the Lord to introduce man to his offended God. Anointed by the eternal spirit without measure, the Lord Jesus Christ appears in the end of the world to put away the sin to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself and then to destroy the separating veil by going into unto the Father. Up till then, religion had dealt with externals such as meats and drinks and washings and carnal ordinances and priests who could only offer the blood of bulls and goats, but the coming of the Messiah changed all of this. We pass from shadow into substance. Your conscience truly, truly purified. If you're troubled today, if you're concerned today about your soul, about whether if you stood honestly before the God of the universe and you wonder, how could He accept me? How could I be led into His heaven? Remember His sacrifice. Remember Christ's blood shed for you that purifies our conscience from these rituals, from these rules. Unto what? From dead works unto service of the living God. 
this word service is, is not just a, a, a word for manual labor or the labor that a servant would do, but it's come to mean more of a, a service of worship. It, it's what Paul uses in Romans 12 to talk about our offering to God by the mercies of God to offer our lives as a living sacrifice, which is our acceptable worship of God. When Christ's eternal redemption really weighs down on us, when we understand how His blood has made satisfaction for all of our sins and transgressions, that changes our hearts from hearts of fear and worry to ones that are full and able to worship, turned from keeping rules and regulations and standards and laws and realizing the lawgiver has completely fulfilled and kept every one of his laws, yet has gone to the cross to be punished as a lawbreaker. For you, for me, the lawbreakers. This elevates our hearts to worship this God, this Savior, this Lord. This sacrifice for us, when we meditate on it, and we do so week after week in our hymns, in our liturgy, in partaking of communion, but in a specially focused way during the Passion Week and Good Friday, and we will on Sunday, we consider that sacrifice and we meditate on that, it fills our hearts to worship our God. Therefore, verse 15 says, He is the mediator of a new covenant so that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance. This is no temporary reprieve. This isn't only a a partial down payment. This is an eternal inheritance since a death has occurred that redeems them from the transgressions committed under the first covenant. This is a new covenant fulfilling, promise securing, eternal inheritance providing, redeeming sacrifice. If you think and meditate on how each of these truths are fulfilled in Christ, how the richness of all the Old Testament sacrifices and laws and regulations are all completely fulfilled in Him, it builds our hearts of love, our hearts of joy, of relief, of a clean conscience before our God. I want to encourage you as we leave this place, as we walk through Saturday and onto Sunday, Resurrection Day, contemplate what a Savior, what a sacrifice, what an answer to all of our sin. Let's pray. Father, we're thankful that You gave Your Son as our sacrifice. Lord Jesus, we're thankful that You qualified to be that perfect, blameless, without blemish sacrifice did offer Yourself for us. Lord, would You fill our hearts with joy, with excitement, with peace? Lord, would Your Holy Spirit stir in us such a love for You that is expressed in our worship of You. We pray this in Christ Jesus' name. Amen. Our hymn of response will sing as the elders come to prepare for communion. Hymn number 253, let's stand and sing, There is a Fountain Filled with Blood.
Amen. Please be seated. Until all the ransomed church of God be saved to sin no more. We're not there yet, are we, brothers and sisters? But this is the power for us to be there. This picture of the finished work of Jesus for us is what saved us. It's also the thing that keeps sanctifying us and eventually will bring us to glory. And this table is a picture of that. Uh, And this table is for those who know they're sinners and that only the righteousness of Christ imputed to them or credited to them because they believe in Christ, uh, only because of that, they're right with God. That's for those people. It's not for someone who thinks, um, I, I go to church, so that means I should be able to take communion, or I was baptized, or my parents went to church, or, or I had a pretty good week this week compared to more good things than bad things. You didn't have that good of a week. Nobody did. You didn't even have that good of a day. Um, you have to, if you know that, and you know that only Christ can save you from that, um, this table's for you. It's for those who know they're spiritually bankrupt apart from the righteousness of Christ credited to them by faith in him. Um, so if that's not you, let the bread and the cup pass. Don't come forward uh, for this and proclaim something with your outward action. It's not an inward reality, and nobody's judging each other about that decision, that understanding. Um, it's just that important because it's a, sacred, uh, it's a sacred meal that points to the glory of Jesus and what he's provided for his people so that we would be saved from our sins and eventually uh, saved from sin completely. That's what we look forward to. So remember that as you contemplate the words that Jesus gave when he instituted this supper. We heard them already tonight and we hear them again. It was on the same night in which the Lord Jesus was betrayed that he took bread. After giving thanks, he broke the bread and he said, this is my body broken for you. Take and eat. Do so in remembrance of me. After the same manner in which he took the bread, he then also took the cup. He said, this is the blood of the new covenant, shed for the remission of the sins of many. Take and drink. Do so in remembrance of me. And each time we eat this bread and we drink this cup, we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again. And his death is the means of our life, our salvation. Let's pray. Lord, we're grateful for this visible sign and seal of your great covenant of grace. Lord, we are grateful for the provision of Jesus. We trust in him. Lord, please take this bread from its common use and use it for its sacramental purpose today. This cup from its common use and use it for its sacramental purpose today. Please edify your people. Build your people's faith. In Jesus' name, amen. The way we will participate in the Lord's Supper tonight, uh, two elders will be right at the front of the church and they'll move back and dismiss you by pews. So when uh, the pew that lines over there, you just come all, all the way out and you follow all the way through. Come here. You can come as individuals or as families, partake of the elements, and then uh, go back to your seat. Uh, we use wine in communion at Redeemer. There is a limited amount of grape juice if for a reason by conviction you would prefer.
no matter how great you know your sin to be, it's probably worse than that. But it is not greater than the finished work of Christ for you. Believe on Christ and your sins are forgiven. Let's turn to 254. Let's stand and sing the first three verses of Alas and Did My Savior Bleed. Receive the benediction. Now may the God of peace, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that you may do His will, working in us that which is pleasing in His sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Let's be dismissing by singing verses 4 and 5 of hymn 254.